Good evening. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday evening for our midweek Bible study. Of course, we still are in a time where, where our elders have deemed it uh, the safest for us to continue our Bible studies instead of in person but online. But I hope that you are continuing your service, that you are letting us know if there's any way that we can help you because we need to make sure that we are continuing to take care of each other. So let us know if you need us to come and bring you something, if you are not able to get out because of COVID or for any other reason. But as we are during this time where we are communicating more long distance, I pray that you are still studying the Word of God and that you're tuning in and worshiping with us on Sunday morning at 1030, that you are tuning in for the 5 o'clock Bible class, that you are tuning in for the Wednesday night Bible class. For the last, last Wednesday and this Wednesday, as Brother Ken continues to recover, and I hope you'll remember him and Sister Anita and the others of our congregation who are not feeling well, who are not able to get out, who are recovering from COVID and uh, others who have other medical issues, I pray that you will remember them in your prayers and be of whatever assistance that you can. But as uh, Brother Ken is recovering, I have uh, moved our Psalm 119 study to Wednesday night for right now, and I am thankful for that opportunity, thankful that you and I can study in Psalm 119, and I hope you'll open your Bibles to Psalm 119, and that you and I, uh, we're in Lesson 7, we're going to look at verses 49 through 56. But before we do that, I, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? as we focus our minds. Father God, thank you for allowing us to be in your presence. Help us understand that when we open your truth, we are indeed in your presence, and we are listening to your truth and your wisdom. Father, we have a number of our congregation who are sick, who are struggling with this virus, who are struggling with other health issues, who are struggling with complications with their health and in their lives that have arisen from this virus. Father, I pray that you will bless them in accordance to your holy will, that you will be with those who are caring for them, and if it is your will, Father, I pray for a speedy recovery and that you will help us reach into our hearts and into your truth and understand that your grace is always with us. Father, as we study your word in Psalm 119 this evening, help us do so with open minds, with willing hearts and ready hands to do what you would have us to do. In Jesus we pray, amen. When you open your Bibles to Psalm 119 and you look at verses uh, 49 through 56, we're going to see tonight... Uh, a, ser a series of questions. Of course, that uh, Z word is one of the letters of the, the Hebrew alphabet, uh, another eight verses in what is uh, initially uh, was a poem, a song, and is for us a powerful look into the Bible, into God's word, God's truth, and what it should mean and does mean to each of us. These eight verses, I want us to look at them really through a series of questions about God's Word. And again, I mentioned that I will make these studies available to you uh, and plan to put them on our website soon so that you can use, look at this PowerPoint 
uh, on paper or print it if you choose. But first, let's look at verse 49. Number one, question number one, are you planted in the hope found in God's word? Listen to what David said in verse 49. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Think about that. David said his attitude was, in which you've made me hope. Father, you make me hope. I have hope. I am in a condition of hope because of your word. Remember the word that you have given your servant that I might have hope. And when I read that passage, I cannot help but think about Hebrews, uh, well, first Romans 15, 4, where we read the things written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. Are you planted in the hope that's found in the word of God? Sometimes we let hopelessness become something that gets the better of us when it shouldn't. We allow something to shake the hope in which we ought to be planted. When I read in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, folks, that's us, the immutability, sorry, that means doesn't change, the unchangingness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay, what's this, to lay hold of the hope set before us. But it didn't stop there. Verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You know, when I read in passages like Galatians 3 and verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ to put on Christ, have you put on Christ? According to Galatians 2 and verse 20, can you say with Paul, in the words of Paul, that the life you live... In the flesh, right now, you live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, who has entered in, who is that high priest, and because of all of that, we have that hope. That hope is an anchor. An anchor is something that is big enough that it cannot move. And anything attached to that anchor does not move by virtue of the fact the anchor cannot move, will not move, does not move. And so notice here, David said, David said, remember your word in which you've made me hope. Are you and I planted in the hope found in God's word? But question number two, are you preserved from sin's attacks through God's word? Isn't it comforting to know that God's word tells us that we can be preserved you know, if you were, and I'm thinking, it's a thought that just came to my mind. I was looking in a closet the other day, and my wife, we got very industrious this summer, and there were some pears on a tree where we live, and she put up some pear preserves. Do you know what would have happened if she'd taken those pears and just simply put them in a bag and set them in that closet? Well, for one thing, the closet would be smelling bad, wouldn't it? And there would be a, a, a black 
glob in that sack. Why? Because those pears would be no more. Why? They, they, they weren't preserved. But those pears were still right there in that jar waiting for the day that you open the top and use them for whatever purpose you want to use them. They're preserved. Now, let's think about what David says here. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. When I think about your rules, when I think about uh, what you've given me, when I think about your truth, I take comfort. And notice he's taking comfort in the midst of having a lot of people around him. He said there are insolent people. Those are disrespectful people. Those who are people who've rejected the word of God and they are utterly deriding me. Deride means they are talking not just about, but talking very bad, very nastily, very disrespectfully, very harmfully, hurtfully, harshly to David about his role as God's servant, about his faith as God's child. Does that happen to us in the world in which we live? Sin attacks us on every uh, turn, it seems, but I want you to notice we're preserved David says, we have comfort. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now watch this, that's my part. Test, hold fast, abstain from every form of evil. Now, verse 23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify you, uh, take him out, take you away from the influences of sin. Can God do that? Jesus said in John 17, 17, Thank, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So how does that apply here? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, he said, he did, I, let, me, let me finish. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Don't you understand that God and Christ through His grace and His blood and His faith that you have access to through truth, that that's able to preserve us when sin attacks. But number three, whoops, sorry, I forgot to put those up there. Let's go ahead and read 1 John uh, chapter 5 before we jump ahead. 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, because I want you to hear this passage. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Now, folks, that doesn't mean cannot sin. The language there and the tense of that Greek phrase means does not sin on purpose, does not sin habitually. That is not his intent or desire or practice or her intent, desire or practice. But he who has been born of God keeps himself. And the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. God's word is able to preserve us. But number three, another question. Now look at verse 53 of Psalm 119. A very interesting text here. The question is, are you passionate about the wickedness of sin? The word passionate here, the way I, I'm intending for you to understand it, is an old saying. Have you ever heard someone say about another person, well, something's got him stirred up. <laughs> something's got her stirred up. And you can tell, you can tell by looking at his or her face, you can tell by, by looking, by, by paying attention to their demeanor, they're, they're, they're upset, they're on fire about something. 
Well, the idea is here. Look at verse 53. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Now, you and I understand, John already said in 1 John um, um, chapter 5, verse 19, we know that we belong to God and the whole world lies in wickedness under the sway of the wicked one. David said, hot indignation seizes me. That word seize means just what it sounds like. Take a hold of, take a hold on in a way that you can't get loose. And that word hot indignation, that Hebrew word has the idea of a searing, burning uh, a flame of fire. That's in a, almost like a wind blowing that hot fire. That's the Hebrew context here. Hot indignation. What does the word indignation mean? Well, the word indignation has the idea, you, you might hear the term righteous indignation. Being upset because something that is right is being ignored. Being upset because something that is being, there is something being done, being accepted, that is not right, that is absolutely opposite of what is right. And we're talking about what God says is right, of course. Now, David said, hot indignation grabs me by the heart when I see the wicked. Think about John chapter 2. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. John 2, verse 13. Have you read this account before of Jesus' life? Let's read down through verse 17. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Now, remember, uh, they were in the temple. Don't forget that. When he had made a hip, uh, I'm sorry, let me back up and read that right. When he'd made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. If you read that in English, there's an exclamation point there. In the, as you read that, in, the emphasis is take the, Jesus didn't say, won't you please take these things away? Jesus was driving out sheep and oxen with a whip, with a, a cord that he had made, a whip of cords that he had made, and that's no small matter. You think Jesus was, was tapping those animals saying, won't you please move? Oh, please take these out. No, Jesus drove them out and said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And I know he said it that way. You say, how do you know he said it that way? You're just making that up. No, I'm not. Verse 17, then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. That's pretty plain language. In fact, Jesus used a hyperbole there. Uh, the Holy Spirit used a hyperbole. Not literally eating him up, but that's an exaggeration meant to make a powerful point. He was absolutely, totally, completely, 100% overcome with zeal for the house of God, and he could not stand what he saw was happening. Now, before we leave this, and I don't want to be too long in this lesson, but in verse 15, when he had made a whip of cords, do you know that's a clause that shows time? I want you to get something here. Don't ever look at that passage and think that Jesus acted impulsively, that Jesus got mad and flew off the handle. 
It took some time. The Holy Spirit took, made sure you and I understood that Jesus, when he had made a whip of cords, that took a little time. Jesus sat there and took the time to think about what he was going to say and think about what he was going to do and, and be and burn within him about what he was seeing that was happening. And notice when he did, he never touched a human being with that cord. But he taught them. He said, this is not right. He drove the animals out with the cord while saying to those who had hearts and ears, this is not right, you cannot do this. Do you and I get stirred up that way? In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. The next time you read that, I hope you'll think about what, exactly what Paul is saying there. You should have no partnership or no uh, close ties with things you know are wrong, but there's more. You should point them out as wrong. Oh, in the right way, of course. Same passage, Ephesians 5, speaking the truth in love. But you have to point them out. He said the light shows them. Folks, I pray that you and I are never guilty of covering the light that's supposed to be shining from us when we're around those who are living in sin because we don't want to upset the social apple cart. David said, hot indignation burns when I see sin. But then question number four, is God's word the praise of your heart and the song of your lips? Look at verse 54. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Your statutes, your word has been the songs. In Hebrews 11, uh, the Hebrew writer talks about people there who looked for a city whose builder and maker is God, who knew they were just strangers and pilgrims. Folks, you and I must not, we cannot forget that we're not meant to stay here. We're not meant, we don't live here. We are just staying here. We are pilgrims. And David said, while I'm sojourning here in this life, your word is the song that's on my heart. That makes me think of James 5 and verse 13. You know... God has granted me the opportunity to teach and preach for over 30 years now. And this may be the first time I've ever really, truly gotten a good grasp of James 5 and verse 13. Because we go there and say, if anyone is, is uh, uh, um, merry, uh, or if anyone is afflicted, let him pray. Yep. If anyone's weary, uh, uh, sorry. If anybody's happy, let him sing, cheerful, let him sing. Then we go on. But now, wait a minute. What did he say? If you're happy, if you're full of God's love, if you know you're blessed, he said, sing. Sing. So I wonder, as we were all reminded that we're not meant to stay here, do we remind ourselves and fill ourselves up? And I tried that this morning. I feel so much better because as I was doing the, the, the shaving thing and the getting ready to come uh, be here and record this, uh, all that preparation... I sang some songs that I remember singing when I was five or six, seven and eight, ten and twelve. I want to be a worker for the Lord. Give me the Bible. When the roll is called up yonder, and I'm going to tell you something, that drew me closer to heaven. 
And, oh, that's what James meant. That's what David meant. Absolutely. But then question number five, and then we'll close. Verses 55 and 56. Listen to what David said. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precept. David said, I am blessed. It is a blessing. You continue to bless me. Why? Because I live your word. And I remember your name in the night, O Lord. To me, when I read that, this is what I understand. When David pillows his head, when he pillows his head at night, he remembers how blessed he is because God's word has has him covered. God's word has given him everything he needs. God's promise has not left him, will not leave him while he's asleep, and will be waiting for him when he wakes up. And I wonder if you and I have that same feeling. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything through supplication, with prayer and thanksgiving. Through prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then he said, and the peace which surpasses all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I wonder if we have that peace because like David, when we pillow our heads at night, we are surrounded by God's truth and know that it's waiting for us when we wake in the morning. Thank you for studying this section of Psalms 119 with me. I pray that you'll continue to study. Have a good night.